Would you turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah? Old Testament book of Isaiah will be in chapter 6 today. The sermon notes with all the scriptures and three points today are at novachurch.org or on your Nova Community Church app. Last week we started a sermon series and the sermon series is entitled, Here I Am. It's all about people in the Bible that use those three words that we're going to look at today and over the next several weeks. Today we'll explore and learn from a man named Isaiah who said, here I am, when he encountered God. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 6. I'll read the whole chapter for us today. We'll start in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as a terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is God's word for us today. Some time ago, the Spirit of God encouraged me. I was out about in the South Bay, and someone I didn't know, a, a total stranger, came up to me, and he started sharing the gospel with me. And he started telling me about his church. Now, I didn't say, hang on, camper, you know, I'm a pastor. I, I didn't say that. I just let him go, because I wanted to see where this was headed. After a while, I, I finally told him about the church that I'm a part of, and he said, Nova? He said, now that, Nova, he said, now that is a church on mission. 
And after he assessed that I was a follower of Jesus, truly a follower of Jesus, he left me alone. And he went on to somebody else. But I thought, and you might be curious, I was curious, like, why would he say to me, Nova? Now that's a church on mission. Now, I know that we're active in making disciples. We want to make disciples that make disciples. And we feed hungry people a couple times a month on a Friday in North Gardena. We do laundry love once a month. We weekly build relationships with those who are in transition from homelessness into work and into their own place at the village uh, right by the courthouse here in Torrance. Um, we built single, we built homes for single moms in Mexico. We just had our uh, wonderful VBS. I think there was 120 kids, 25 kids that we ministered to. This week, Japanese Bible Day Camp with 48 kids. Uh, we send and we support church plants. We send and we support uh, those in missions that bring the gospel to the nations. And wherever we live, we say it all the time, wherever we live, just people like you and me, wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we recreate, wherever we shop, we're good news people. We're gospel people sharing the good news to people in our daily life. And we do more. I mean, there, that's just a, a short list of things. And then I, I ask myself, why would anybody, why would Nova people, why would anybody spend their their life or their time or their giftedness, their talents or their money to serve God in his mission. Why, why would that happen? Because it's happening. And this stranger says, Nova, you guys are known as a church on mission. I think we can learn from Isaiah from this text with that because in our, in our text today, Isaiah has this encounter with God. And so we'll look at this encounter with God in chapter 6. I, I wish we can take maybe another hour to kind of go through all the little pieces in there, but we'll, we'll make three points today with this. When we encounter the glory of God, number one, he changes everything. When we encounter the glory of God, everything changes in life. In the beginning, Isaiah enters the temple, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And what he sees is what the scriptures tell us, the glory of God. He sees the glory of God. In verse 3, towards the end of verse 3, it says, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now the Hebrew word glory is really important for us today. The Hebrew word glory is a word that literally means weight or weightiness or heaviness. Remember that. The Hebrew word glory, it, it means weightiness or, or heaviness. It's the substantial versus the unimportant. It's, it's substan the glory of the Lord is substantial. And compared to anything else, nothing else matters. It's sort of like this. If we're talking about the glory of the Lord... Whoops, okay. You could be in the splash zone right here. 
Now, here we have a bucket of water, but it's, it would be too heavy for me to, so I want to make sure there's enough. Should I stop or keep going? <laughs> Say stop. Say stop louder. I can't hear you. Now, this bucket is filled with water, as, as you could see, and it's, it's there. And if you drop an object in the water that's lighter than the water, it's not going to take much effect. Now, this is a piece of styrofoam. And so, I, I'm, I don't, I don't want to get too simple, but let's see what happens. Okay. Or should I drop it? Uh, yeah. It's not magic. I mean, you, you understand it. It's styrofoam. And then this is water. And so something lighter than the water will have not much effect, right? You understand that, right? Okay. However, ugh, the rock, the stone, the boulder, if you want to call it, it's an object that's heavier than the water. And, and what would happen to the water if I dropped the rock in the water? Because we know, I think we know, we've experienced that rocks like this are heavier than water. And we're talking about the glory of God, and we said that glory in the Hebrew literally means what? heaviness, weightiness in life. And so when the glory of God comes into your life, it's sort of like something heavy that goes into water and, and there is a reaction that happens. And so what would happen? Displacement. It, 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 displacement, right. Um, and so when the glory of God comes into your life, and it enters the water, it's like this. Every time God's presence comes down, we, we read here, there's a quake, right? The, the doorposts shook. And because of the glory or the weightiness of God, glory is ultimate. The glory of God is ultimate. And anything compared to God, it has no weight. Like that styrofoam, it just kind of floats. But when you encounter the glory of God, it changes everything. And I think there's a difference, get this, between believing in God and having an encounter with God's glory. With Isaiah, with, with Isaiah, he didn't walk into the temple and look around and say, oh, oh, um, I, I see God. 
he already believed in God, but in the temple he had an encounter with the glory of God. And if you merely believe in God, if you just believe in God, he fits in your life. If your concept of God doesn't disrupt you and displace your life, you're just fitting him into your life. It doesn't change you much. Now, God as a concept is lighter than you. So you shape God. And God fits in your lifestyle. And you move God around the way you want to move God around in your life. And if you believe God, and it hasn't changed your life much, then God's just a concept to you. Plenty of people, plenty of people have a belief in the concept of a God. And if that's you, you have God in your life to help you. You're fitting God into your agenda in your lifestyle. But God as a reality is weightier than you. And when you come into the presence of the glory of God, things change. They have to change. Why? It's because God is weightier. He's heavier than you. He displaces you. Instead of you fitting God into your agenda, God is your agenda. So when the reality of God comes into your life, number one, he changes everything. Number two, when, when, when we have an encounter with the glory of God, we experienced unmatched beauty. We experienced unmatched beauty. The way you know that you have had an encounter with God's glory is that you experience a beauty you have never known. Now, our world, we have this sort of concept of beauty. You know, it's on social media, and it's, uh, what, a beautiful woman or a beautiful handsome man looks like, right? We have this concept in our mind. But take a look at verse 1 here in Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, two with wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. In the Hebrew language, often magnitude is conveyed through the repetition of a word. I'm sure we've preached that before, you've studied that before. You find that all the way throughout the Bible. An example of this is in your notes in 2 Kings chapter 25 when this description of, of um, pure gold in the original language, as you read this in 2 Kings 25 verse 15, it says all that were made of, it says pure gold, or if you read it in the original language, it would say gold gold. It would just, it would say we're magnifying. It's not just pure gold, it's gold gold. It's like not just a little nugget, it's, it's this massive, shiny, heavy, gold, gold, it's pure, it's, it's gold, gold. Nowhere in the Bible, however, is there a triplet to really, really, really convey a super magnitude, like here in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. And Hebrew scholars tell us that holy means 
infinitely unique, above all else, more than one can imagine a brilliance or a beauty. It's hard for us to conceive of that. The seraphim are calling out to one another with fascination and adoration and love for God's holiness. And the Bible often refers to the beauty of his holiness. But let me, let me try to, let me try to uh, explain this to you a little bit, more in an in a everyday sort of way. Imagine, imagine you, imagine yourself being an heir or an heiress. Now, you are an, a young adult heir or heiress, and you are wealthy like you can't even believe with family money. Got it? Okay, imagine that. And then you start to date because you're thinking, I want to get romantically involved with somebody, I want to be married one day, and I want to have a family and all of that. So you begin dating, and you date someone serious, and that person says to you, I want to marry you. And so you get married. But the reality is this. They want to marry you because you have family money. And a few years later, tragically, your spouse is not interested in you anymore because they realize they can't get their hands on the family money soon enough. So how do you feel, young adult heir or heiress? How do you feel? You feel violated, right? You feel objectified. You feel used. You were not loved for who you are. You were loved because you had family money. You realize that almost all of us related to God like that? And you say, what do you mean? I've heard this before, many times. People will say to me, I used to believe in God, but he didn't come through for me. How many of you ever heard something like, like that before? Yeah. In other words, God has this great blessing bank, this big blessing bank account, but he didn't share any of it with me. I really didn't want God, you see. I, I just wanted his blessings. So when I realized that he wasn't going to bless me in the way that I wanted, I didn't want to have a relationship with, anymore, with him anymore. You married God for his money. God was an object. But the seraphim, they're praising and adoring God, not on the basis of a cost-benefit analysis or a return on investment projection. See, the question for us today is this. Do you worship and serve God just because of who he is? Or do you worship and serve God because of all that he could do for you. The seraphim worship God because he's, not because he's useful, but because he is beautiful. Now, it's kind of hard to figure out beauty, I think, in today's world. Like I said, you know, our world has this idea of what beauty is like. We see pictures, and we see people, and we say that's beautiful, and all these things. And I, and I was thinking, uh, what about this, to, to sort of talk, when we talk about beauty, to explain it a little bit better. Like, everyone has a favorite song. I, I think if everyone has a favorite song that's just 
beautiful. And when you put your headphones in or, and you just listen to that song, it just sends you. You know, it just, it, it just, it, it takes you to another place. And the song is so beautiful to you. So why do you listen to that song? What, what good are you getting out of that by listening to that song? Does it make you money? Does it bring you more significance or more approval? What good is that beautiful song? It's just satisfying in itself because it is beautiful. And this is how we should view God. This is our relationship with God. If you knew who he is in all his glory. Jonathan Edwards, who was a 1700s American theologian, he said this, he put it this way, he said, the power of God, the mercy of God, and the wisdom of God all have benefits for us, but the holiness of God, there is no benefit to you. What happens to Isaiah when he encounters God? Take a look at this in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and, and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. See, Isaiah here realizes who he is compared to the holiness of God. And he and his community, he feels like, I'm, I'm nothing. He says, woe is me. Compared to the holiness of God, Isaiah says, I'm nothing. The Bible has so many encounters with people, has so many uh, um, instances of encounters that people have. If you read about Job in the Old Testament book of Job, and he sees God and and uh, for who he is, and then so Job, he, he puts dust and ashes on himself when he encounters God like that. And then Isaiah, here we, we read, he encounters God, and he says, woe to me, I'm, I'm ruined, he says. I I'm just might as well die right here when he sees the holiness of God. <clears throat> and then Peter in the New Testament encounters the holiness of God, and Peter says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. See, just knowing the holiness of God or encountering the holiness of God, we, we, we feel certain things. And if you're like Job or Isaiah or Peter, you realize that you need rescue when you encounter the holiness of God. And with Isaiah, he humbly confesses his sin, and God begins to restore him. And then this picture that's just so incredible, this angel, this seraphim, he goes and gets this live red-hot coal. And it's so hot that he can't even hold it, so he gets tongs, right? And he flies. It's almost like just a, an instant that this, Isaiah says, woe is me, and this angel, this seraphim, flies to him and he touches him right on the lips. And he's cleansed and he's, he's forgiven in an instant. And it's amazing that Isaiah encounters the weight of God's glory, and then he's undone, and he feels dirtier than the filthiest of filth because of the holiness of God. And he knows he deserves to die, but God sends an angel. 
with a red-hot live coal and cleanses him and forgives him in an instant. And so when we encounter the glory of God, he changes everything, number one. Number two, we experience his unmatched beauty. And number three, he gives us mission and meaning. It's, it's, it just seems like all of this is happening just within seconds of this encounter with God. In a second after being rescued and redeemed, Isaiah, after rescuing and redeeming Isaiah, God calls him. Take a look at verse 8. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. So what happened to Isaiah? Anyways, his self-image was deconstructed and reconstructed in a blink of an eye. And at the same moment, he realized he was more sinful than he ever thought. He realized he was loved more than he ever could have dreamed of. And that's called the grace of God. Anyone who has never experienced the grace of God is trying to, to earn or perform good enough to be acceptable to God. If you've never experienced the grace of God, you're either prideful, like, yeah, I'm doing enough. God's got to love me. Or you feel like a failure, like, ah, I can't do enough. God will never love me. And if you have experienced the grace of God, you're just grateful. And like the seraphim, you just cry out to God, holy, holy, holy. And here's the answer, I believe, though. Getting back to that first story of that stranger that I encountered. Here's the answer to why Nova would be known as a church on mission. It's not because Nova is so great. It's not because, oh, look at this big property we got, and we got a big playground that everyone can use, and a great front entrance, and a prayer garden, and, you know, all this other stuff. It's not because we're so great. That's what makes us a church on mission. And it's not because we have a bunch of great people, but we do, but it's not that. And it's not because we work hard to keep doing things that spread the gospel to the world around us. This is the reason why. It's because the people of Nova have encountered the glory and the beauty of God, and we've experienced the grace of God, and now there's nothing else that we could say except, here I am, send me. And therefore, we're available. If you remember last week, I just explained all these people in the Bible that say, here I am, and what they're really saying is, I'm available. We're just available. We, we, we could read all about this because the mission of God is challenging. It's, 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 it's hard. And you read about this, really, Isaiah writes about this in, in verses uh, 9 through 13. He says to God, here I am, send me. And then God says, well, I want you to do this stuff. And he says, for how long do you want me to do it? And God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away. And though, even though a tenth might remain in the land, even that's going to be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak trees leave stumps when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump 
in the land. And so we say, here I am, send me to God, and he says it's going to be challenging. It's, it's gonna, there's going to be a struggle. But there is an expectancy we have. We have the word of God. We have the Bible. We're told that it's going to be hard in the mission, but in the end, we, know, we already know that God wins. But I love this in the last few words of this chapter. In verse 13, there's going to be this struggle, and all these things are going to be laid to waste. But there will be, in verse 13, the holy seed will be a stump in the land. There's this little bit of hope. A holy seed will be there. And so who or what is that seed? Well, in Isaiah 11, Isaiah writes about this some more. He writes about this plant that will grow from a holy seed that's in the stump. In verse 1 in, in chapter 11, he says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And it goes on. Who is that? It's Jesus. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that you will encounter the weight, the heaviness, the weight of the glory of God. That you would experience his grace when you encounter that. You would probably say, woe to me, I'm undone. But then, even as you say that, you'll experience his grace and forgiveness. And like Isaiah, that you will say to God, here I am, send me. Amen?